Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Amen. Well, I do want to invite you to open up the scriptures to the book of Colossians in the New Testament, kind of towards the end of the New Testament, right after Philippians. And we're going to begin looking at um, verses 9 through 14 uh, together today in our study on the book of Colossians. As you're turning there, um, a couple of quick things. Number one, we've entered a new month and many of you are joining us in reading through the Bible this year using the reading plans that we have available on our website at the uh, Journey Through the Bible section or you're joining us reading through the Bible with the, the hard copy that's back there, uh, keep going. Um, we, we chose this plan so that you could find uh, yourself in, right, right now we're in Exodus and we're in the Psalms and we're in Matthew and we're in the book of Acts. And so it's kind of a widespread of God's word where you can kind of dig yourself in there and, and, and just love it. You know, um, I find the more I read, sometimes it's really hard for me to read. It's really hard for me to get into that, that practice. I, I don't know if that's just the work of the adversary wanting to keep me away from reading, or if that's just my own uh, apathy sometimes. Um, but sometimes I struggle to get in the text. But when I get in the text, God begins to show himself to me in a whole, in a whole just remarkable way. And I see things I've never seen before. And so I, I hope and trust that as you've entered into this new year, that you're finding just great joy in opening up the scripture and if you need a plan to do that, we've got one for you. I also want to say um, next week, we are going to be uh, sending more than 50 people. Um, Tom or Scott, how many people? Do you, do you have a number on the top of your head for next week? 55 students and leaders up to Lake Ann for winter retreat. And so I'd ask you, church family, to be praying for those students and those families and those leaders that, that those students and the leaders especially would encounter God in an incredible way as they go up to Lake Ann camp up in the northern part of the state. And they encounter Bible teaching, they encounter uh, worship, they encounter being able to be together for a sustained period of time. I know in my own growth as a follower of Jesus, there's certain seasons of life that God just revealed himself to me in a very clear way. And usually it's, I think it's because I was stripped away from all the things that were normal in my life and I was less distracted and I could maybe perhaps hear a little bit more clearly what God was wanting to say. But nonetheless, God gives these opportunities to us to invest in the lives of students. And so church family, let's be praying for these students and leaders as they head out next week. And that segues really well with how we are to pray. And we're gonna talk about that this morning in our passage. Our, our passage this morning is Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers. And, and I love the way he phrases this prayer. And you could call this prayer the, the ideal state of walking in relationship with God, right? The ideal state of walking in relationship with God through Christ. And I want to invite you, hopefully you're there by now, Colossians chapter one. And if you're able to, I invite you to stand for the reading of the scriptures this morning as we read these couple of verses together. Here is Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers. Hear this, the word of the Lord. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, we thank you and all glory be to your name for the word of God given to us today. God, thank you for re- revealing your heart, revealing your truth, and for promising your Holy Spirit to leading to guide us into truth today. And God, we just come in an act of dependence here recognizing, God, we don't have wisdom apart from you. We don't have spiritual understanding apart from you. And Father, for the people in our life um, whom whom we're given the opportunity to care for and to guide and to shepherd, God, we can only be a certain degree of wisdom and understanding. We desire you to be their counselor you to be their Lord, and you to be their life. And so God, reveal yourself um, to them today. We, we pray, Lord, for these students as they get ready with their leaders to go up to Lake Ann next week. May they be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding so that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you strengthen them, God, with your power, according to your might, for all endurance with joy. And may they learn to give thanks to you as we desire to do as well today. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and everyone together said, amen. Please be seated. It's a great prayer. It's an, it's an amazing prayer, and it, and it pictures an ideal state of what this amazing uh, apostle, the, this amazing sent one of God, who, who is called to help shepherd the early church, especially the Gentile church in the world and in Asia Minor. It gives us a bit of his heart into what he desires for these believers. Notice it doesn't say, I want you to be filled with my will. He says, God, I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will. Now, sometimes I struggle with this, and one of the reasons I struggle with it is because sometimes I I, I may have a clarity on what God's will is, but I just feel uh, powerless to walk in it. You know, Paul, Paul addresses this in the book of Romans. He says, you know, there's the good that I want to do, but I do the things that aren't good, and he eventually says, who will save me from this body of death? He goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Paul recognizes that sometimes we have the the desire to do God's will in our life. We have the desire, but we just don't have the power. (laughs) And probably, most likely, it's because we're trying to work that in our own power and in our own strength. And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. But the other reason I struggle with this idea of will, because sometimes in trying to seek God's will... Sometimes a lot of Jeremy gets in the way of seeking what God's will is. When I, when I was a kid, um, one of the first uh, CDs that my parents owned, yes, CD for those of you who are under the age of 30, it's an ancient iPhone, okay? It, it plays these round things that have like music on them because it's not music on demand. My parents bought the CD player 
probably in the late 80s or so. And we're, we're going back, I know, in the time machine here. Um, but one of the first CDs I remember them having is the CD by a guy uh, named Scott Wesley Brown. Anybody know that name? Oh, wow, I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, way to go. Okay, so he has the song, and I think this was his most... It was his best song, and it, it struck a chord in our heart. Um, it's a song, um, and it starts like this. Oh, Lord, I am your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I've stained it with many a tears. He says, I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best, but I've never asked you for anything much. So, Lord, please hear my request. And then he goes into a rousing chorus of God... It must be a missions conference. I don't know. He goes, please don't send me to Africa, <laughs> right? I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm not a man. Or I'm just a man. I'm not a Tarzan who likes lions, gorillas, or snakes. He says, I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle-class life. But Lord, please don't send me out into the bush where the natives are restless at night. Those lyrics have hung a long, long time in my brain. But then he goes into verse two. It's worth it. I won't quote the chorus again to you, but uh, he says, I've given you years of my service. I've always given my best. I'll, I'll wash and stack the communion cups. I'll tithe 11%. He says, I'll volunteer for the nursery. This is prayer to God. I'll go on the youth group retreat because you don't get to any sleep. Um, he says, I'll usher, I'll deacon, I'll go door to door, but God, let me keep warming this seat. <laughs> Please don't send me to Africa, right? At the core of this song is, I think, one of the other major problems we have when it comes to God's will. It's that, God, I'll do anything except that. For me, it was being a pastor for many years. I was like, no, God, I never want that. Be, smile, uh, just, just smile if you ever tell God, I'll never do that. Because um, many times God will call you into it. Um, but we struggle with God's will sometimes because we'll do anything except sometimes what his actual will is. And it's the journey of knowing God that reveals his will to us. In fact, when I was in seminary, I had an um, amazing professor uh, who taught spiritual formation. And the whole premise of one of the, uh, the sections of the class was, as Christians, we're called not to know God's will first. I mean, some, sometimes there's been seasons in my life too where I've gone like, God, just reveal it. God, just show me. God, just... And he told us, you know, desire to know God more than to know his will. And it will all work out just fine. But we find ourselves kind of struggling sometimes, or I find myself struggling sometimes with God. What is your will? God, how do I have power for your will? Uh, God, please don't send me to Africa. I don't want that for my life. And yet, God calls us, God calls us to follow him. Whatever the uphill, whatever the downhill, whatever the cliff we come to, but he doesn't just call us to follow him, he promises to be with us. When Paul writes these words to these Colossian believers, he's writing to a small church. He, he's writing to a church 
at the foothills of Mount Cadmus. This is, this is ancient Colossae right here. It hasn't really been excavated too much. Here's another photo. This is kind of going up that tell right there. You can see a little bit of some ancient um, wall right there. And there's a flock of sheep that is going up there. Um, and it's kind of appropriate that there's sheep in this photo because number one, Colossae was known for sheep. They were known for wool production. They were, they were known in the ancient world for dyeing wool and selling it to a whole bunch of different places. But at the time at which Paul is writing, this, what had once been a large city is now, according to uh, historians of the day, it's a small city. So you can imagine um, a church or a couple of house churches comprising of, some suggest, around 45 people gather around and they're people who have experienced the redemption of Christ. They, they've experienced what verses 13 and 14 talk about, rescued from the domain of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. They've had redemption and the forgiveness of sins in him. And, and that's amazing, but it's not all of Paul's um, explanation or um, declaration of God's work because God redeems in order that we might walk after him and walk with him in life. And he, and he says this in the text. Notice with me, please, verse nine. For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. He says, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And verse 10 says, so that you might walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, knowing who we are in Christ is not just head knowledge. It has to do with how we take the next step on a Sunday afternoon and into a Monday, into the places where we work, in the places where we live, in the places where we play, right here in West Michigan. And if you're joining us online, right there, wherever you are at, so that we might walk in him. That's his goal. We have a promise of an enormous, glorious eternity with God. That, that's for sure. But God cares about our every day and he cares about the today that we live and he cares that we walk with him in the moment that he has given us to live here in this life. But we struggle with this and the Colossians struggled with this. One of the ways that they struggled with this is that they had a lot of competing sources for truth. In fact, in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, it's gonna say this, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. What had happened is there's been so many things on the spiritual smorgasbord of, of first century Colossae that like, hey, we can take Christ and then we can pick this up and we can pick this up and we can pick this up. And one of the big reasons that he's writing this book of Colossians is to encourage these believers, you're picking up a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with Christ. That you're elevating these things to an importance in your life. You're giving them clout where Christ is supposed to be your life. That's what he's going to say throughout the book. And he's going to address these, these arguments of what's going on with the Colossians and with the heresy that they're believing. But I want you to understand, 
Where this is primarily taking place in their life is in their, what we will call soul, okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about how we are uh, comprised of a body and we're comprised of a soul and we're comprised of a spirit. What happens when we become followers of Jesus is we are given a new spirit. We, we have a renewed spirit. God places his spirit within us and we become new in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What fundamentally changes is our identity. In the Bible, one of the foremost identities that is, that is described, especially in Paul's writings, is, is we are in Adam or we are in Christ. To be in Adam is to be separated from God through sin. To be in Christ is to be made righteous by God's gift of his son going to the cross and dying and rising again and Christ's blood and Christ's sacrifice being applied to our very lives. And so when God looks at us, he can say, like he told the Colossians in verse two, to the saints in Colossae, to the holy ones, to the ones who are set apart and they're set apart because they're not who they used to be anymore. They're fundamentally a new identity and it's based on Christ. Make sense? Good. If it doesn't, we can talk later. But after this part of our spirit that determines our identity, we have this part that we'll call the soul. And this is made up of our mind and our will and our emotions. And where I want to highlight here is our struggle with our will versus God's will doesn't happen in the very identity of who we are. It happens in this part of our, of our, of our life, in this part of our being that is still being sanctified. This sanctified because we're given God's spirit. This, our soul, is being sanctified and our body, whew, for those of us who feel the aches and the pains in a different way than we did last week, our body will one day be sanctified as well. But where we struggle with this will and where Paul is praying for these Colossian believers that they would experience the knowledge of God's will is that they would have a revelation from God through the word of God, through the spirit of God, that they would know what matters to God, but not that they would just know what matters to God, but that they would walk in the power of God to do what pleases him. In fact, one... Um, one commentator, C.F. Moore, once said about prayer, he, he said, prayer makes two great requests. Number one, it asks for the discernment of God's will. And secondly, then it asks for the power to perform that will. Because we can look at this, and if we walk in our will, our ability to choose, if we walk in us, if I walk in Jeremy, I don't have the power to walk after God which is why I need his power and his revelation and his truth in my life through the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to work in and through me for his glory. We're dependent people. I think it was John Calvin who once said, prayer is an act of dependence. When Paul is praying for these Colossian believers, he recognizes, man, they are dependent. And so are you and I. So are you and I in our life today. So his prayer here, we'll kind of go on. His prayer is that we are asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. To be filled, the word pleru, which is the word here that is translated to be filled, means, means to make full or to satisfy. I pray that you would be satisfied. Now notice, this is in a passive tense. And what that means is it's something that is done to you. In other words, you can't satisfy yourself in your own strength. 
Uh, sometimes when I go home for lunch to see my family, I walk in the door and I'm absolutely ravenous. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm grabbing everything I can on my way to the table. And sometimes I'll have a whole meal before I actually sit down for the lunch that my wife has prepared. And what happens is I can fill myself up with all of this stuff and I miss the nourishment that my body actually needs, right? And we do this in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we try to make full or we try to make satisfy ourselves and we do this in our own strength instead of allowing God to be our satisfaction satisfaction. And what happens when we do that is we get, all th- we get things all topsy-turvy, right? Paul's command here, his prayer here, he's beseeching God that the believers would be filled. How would they be filled? They would be filled with the knowledge of his will. The, the idea of knowledge here comes from a word. Um, the word means, let me just get it right for you here. The, the word knowledge comes from the word epignosis, which means that they would be able to recognize or they, they would, upon sight, they'd be able to, to have recognition of what God desires them to do, how he desires them to live, what, what their life should look like as a result of God's grace. That they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. And I actually like that because it says the knowledge of his will. So if I'm gonna try and fill my life I can't fill myself with the knowledge of God's will. That's gotta be a work of God in my life through the word of God and through the spirit of God. I, if, I, if you leave me in a room with just a pad of paper, whew, I can think of a lot of things that I desire to do. But for the believer, it's not just what I want to do, it's what, God, what do you want me to do? God, God how, would, how would you have me respond in this situation? How would you have me walk this out? And so is the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom, and the word there for wisdom is the word Sophia. Do we have anybody named Sophia here this morning? Middle name, first name? Okay. Um, Sophia is the word for wisdom. And it refers to, um, William Barclay says, it refers to the knowledge of the first principles of life. Like the, the most basic truths about who God is and about salvation and about what God desires from us. He, he's praying that, I, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will in all wisdom, first principles, and spiritual understanding. Now the idea here be, behind spiritual understanding is uh, it's different than wisdom. It's different than Sophia. Sophia is knowledge of first principles, but understanding is a word sunesis, which is what the Greeks sometimes re- described as critical knowledge. In, in other words, it gave understanding is the ability to apply the first principles to every situation that arise in life. So Paul is saying here, William Barclay says, so when Paul prays that his friends may have wisdom and understanding, he's praying that they may understand the great truths of Christianity and may be able to apply them to the tasks and decisions which meet them in everyday living. But this, is just, this isn't just a normal understanding. He says, uh, you know, knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. In other words, understanding or the ability to apply these truths of God to their life comes by the Spirit. Not any Spirit. It comes by the Holy Spirit. Um, There was a temptation in Colossae to be filled with the wisdom of the day. To to look at, oh, that sounds good. Oh, I can take a little bit of that. His prayer is that they would be filled with understanding. The ability to apply first principles to every situation um, with the Spirit of God. 
with God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. God's wisdom is not like the wisdom of the age. It is wisdom or first principles as related by the Holy Spirit that are the most important truths found in the word of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're found in no other place. So one of the questions we might ask when we're talking about, well, how do I then discern God's will in my life? Uh, It's a great question because we can sometimes be led astray by a whole host of things. And I'm grateful for um, Dr. Thrasher, who I will quote again, um, who I took a class from. He actually wrote an entire book that we used for class back in seminary, and it's called Living the Life God Has Planned. It's like 10 bucks on Moody Publishers' website. And he gave some helpful guidelines for for our life to, to discern questions to discern, are we walking according to God's will or are we walking according to our own? And this kind of gets to the heart of things for us. Actually, these questions help us, you know, with the work of God to to evaluate where is our heart? How do we know whether we're pursuing God's will or my will? And the first thing is this, God's will is always consistent with his word. Right? It's always consistent with his word. God's, God's revelation to you through the work of the spirit or through um, the, the, the truth that you experience will always be consistent with his word. And so that's a, that's, that's a great um, baseline. But you could ask this, yourself the question this way. When I'm discerning my will or God's will, do the scriptures forbid what I'm considering? Right? So, so does the Bible say, no, don't do that? <laughs> Um, if it says, no, don't do that, and you're understanding it properly in context, you can trust that saying no to that and the power of the Holy Spirit will lead to just a greater, um, a, a greater experience uh, of your walk with God because it will be a, a way to deepen that relationship with him because you're walking in truth. Do the scriptures forbid it? Another question you could ask is, will this decision or will this thing that I'm considering, will it cause me to be tempted to sin? Right? Will it cause me to be tempted to sin? And, and that's a discernment question because some things that might tempt one person to sin may not tempt another person to sin. And so there's wisdom there to say, well, do I want this because, and, and do I want to pursue this because it's okay, but it might lead me down a path towards temptation to sin? Another question you could ask in trying to discern my will or God's will is, will my decision here, what, what I decide, will it hinder my Christian walk? Will will it hinder my Christian walk? Another question you could ask is, is what I'm trying to decide here, is it approving of things that are excellent and will it profit me spiritually, right? This is way beyond is is this good or is this bad? This is trying to get to, to the heart of why we're considering something in our life. Another question you, you might ask is, does it tend to control me? You know, if I were to go do that, would it tend to control me or is it something that I'm not controlled by? Um, when I was a kid, um, I, I had an old Nintendo system and I'd play Duck Hunt and I'd play like Mario Brothers and, and I would actually leave it disconnected because I would get so addicted to that thing that I'd be like, I'd, I'd be playing da 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 boom um, and I'd be going along and like three hours go by and I was like, oh, I've got homework to do, you know? Um, d- d- does it con- control me or tend to control me. Another, another question you might ask is, is it a stumbling stone? And the context of Romans 14 is, is wanting to not be a stumbling stone or cause offense to a brother or to a sister in Christ. Like, um, that's something we need to take into account. When considering God, what's your will here? 
Is it something that's going to tempt someone else to sin unnecessarily? All, all these things, I think I've got one more. Yeah, um, does it give an unnecessary offense to others? Th th these are helpful things. Uh, I've got two more actually. Another one, another question we can ask is, does it draw attention to God's character and to God's glory? What I'm deciding about, what I'm trying to choose, which way I should go, what I should do. The last one here is, can I do it in faith and in love, right? Discerning God's will is an important part of our spiritual walk. And it's wholly centered upon knowing the Lord. And it's wholly centered upon seeking Him first. But these are kind of helpful questions that, that help us discern um, God, what would you have me do here? And sometimes we're choosing between two good things. Sometimes we're choosing between a bad thing and a, and, and a good thing. And by bad, I mean like unbiblical. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of discernment and wisdom that goes into this. But, but Paul cares that they walk with the knowledge of his will and that they seek to discern this in all wisdom and spiritual understanding for a reason. Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, um, for the believers in Colossae and for the believers of all time, God desperately cares, deeply cares that we walk worthy of the Lord. The word here for walk is the word peripateo, and it means to conduct oneself or con conduct one's life, to comport oneself, to behave, to live. Um, when in the ancient period, walking was um, one of the fundamental things that people did. You went up, you got up and you went to work, most likely you walked. You went over to the neighboring city, you most likely walked. You went to go visit family, you most likely walked. I drove three miles to get here this morning. Uh, in the ancient period, I would walk that three miles back home and I'd walk that three miles back in. Walk became this metaphor of how we live. So his desire is that they might walk or that they might live in a worthy way. God's will is not about theory or academic practice. It's real truth intended to be walked out in real life. And Colossae seem to fall for the lie that also has a, a root in our culture. And that, and that lie is this, that I can do the right thing or I can believe the right thing up here, but I can walk inconsistently with it. And, and it's true, to some extent, we all walk inconsistently because we're all learning and we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. But what Paul is drawing his people back to here in Colossae is he's saying, I want what you believe to be that which you walk. I want them to be consistent because that matters for your testimony, that matters for your very life. And he's gonna tell them, I, I want you so that you may walk worthy or walk worthily. And the word here for worthily it doesn't mean that so that they would walk in a way that would somehow like earn them a position before God. The word here means, uh, is the word axios, and it means that they might walk suitably in relation to, her, to, to who they are now in Christ. In other words, you used to walk in this certain way when you were separated from God through sin, but you've been redeemed, you've been bought by the blood of the lamb, and now I want you to walk in a way that's just fitting, it's suitable, because this is who you are now. One, right, one scholar puts it this way, that walking worthily means to act and to behave in a way consistent with their status as the saints of God. To walk and behave in a way consistent with their status as the saints of God. So, so their status doesn't change. Their identity in Christ does not change. But what he wants them to do is he wants them to walk out that identity by the power of God and the revelation of his word and of his spirit in their practical everyday life. 
That's what it means. It's not to earn anything. It's to allow what God did here, oh, to become visible to the world around them here. God wants our lives, God wants our lives to count. He he wants how we walk to matter. And that will look differently for every single one of us to an extent. We have the same scriptures, we have the same standards of of God's truth and God's revealed will, but but the way that you walk in the profession you're in may be slightly different than how I walk. You know, last week we heard from Kevin Veening, who God has given an incredible opportunity to lead a ministry here in in the city called Upward Bound. The things that God has called Kevin to walk into is different than the things he's called me to walk into. The things that um, he's called students to walk into in this part of your life are different than the things that he's called adults who may have a vocation or, or who may be doing something else. Those of you who have entered into that retirement sphere, um, you don't retire from following Jesus. Your walk just looks a little bit differently. You know, you, you don't punch in at 7 a.m. and punch out at 3 p.m. Now you have a different degree of time and the same prayer is for all of us that we'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk worthily of him. And that's gonna look differently for you than it will for me. But that's okay. That's okay. The Holy Spirit and the word of God guide each one of us into faithful service of God. Our, our biggest call as followers of Jesus is to remain connected to him. And as we remain connected to him, we will bear much fruit. In fact, Jesus says it this way in, in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the call for the believer is not work harder, work harder, work harder. It's connect yourself to Christ. (laughs) Come back to the center of your faith, the one who is all and in all. Come back to him. He will lead and guide you in his truth. A couple more things here as we end this study together this morning and move to communion. There's four results of walking worthily of the Lord. In fact, these are described in verses 10 through 12 through four participles. In other words, four ongoing actions that modify the word to walk. We we could say that they occur as a result of walking in response to God's revealed will. Um, And the first one is this. It says in verse 10, the end of verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The first way that this is described is bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. And in fact, bearing fruit is an outworking of the gospel in the life of the believer. Uh, Notice back up in verse six, we looked at this last week. Um, That has come to you, well, back up to verse five of chapter one. Because of the hope in heaven reserved for you, you have already heard about this hope in the message of truth. The gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit. The, The work of God and the word of God in our lives are absolutely attached to the person of Christ and the message of the gospel at work in the life. Good works are not a way to earn God's love, but they appear as a result of our walking in relationship with him. That's the first word that modifies the word walk. The second word that modifies the word walk here, uh, the the ongoing actions, is that we grow in the knowledge of God. The the word there uh, is growing in the knowledge of God, a continual um, experience of, of knowing God. And this isn't just like head knowledge. This is the head knowledge that leads to the heart um, transformation that leads to the how we walk this out transformation in the world. This growing refers 
to knowing the revelation of Jesus and what God has done. And, and it's an incredible blessing that comes through the work of God in the believer's life. The next thing that is described here as an outflow of walking worthily of the Lord is that we are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now this phrase here, being strengthened, notice it's passive again, right? Strength doesn't come from, I'm going to put my boots on and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stand strong. It comes from going to God and saying, God, I can't stand strong, but God, would you work in and through me? God, would you strengthen me? His prayer is that as they walk after the Lord, that God would strengthen them with all power. God is the agent of power here. One, one writer puts it this way. He says, what will that mighty power enable me to do? Answer, it will be seen in all endurance and patience with joy. He says, this is not a common understanding of spiritual power. Endurance in impossible situations, patience with impossible people. But it is the power you will know when you are filled with the knowledge of God's word. The last thing that's described here, a word that modifies this idea of what it means to walk, is giving thanks. Paul starts off this letter, and he's giving thanks for these believers in Colossae. And he, he says, you know, one of the outflows of a life that is experiencing the revealed knowledge of God and his will is that you give thanks. You continually give thanks to the Father. I think one of the, the, the reasons that giving thanks is so important is thankfulness is an incredible antidote to pride. It's an incredible antidote to pride because generally saying thank you recognizes that someone has done something for you that you could not do yourself. And here, for the believer to give thanks, it's going, oh man, it's not about what you've given me, God. It's, it's, it's about you. Like, it, it's about your glory. It's about your fame. It's about your honor. It's about your renown in this world. And so Thanksgiving becomes a, an active part of a life of a believer who's growing and being filled with the knowledge of God's will. I love the way that one writer puts it. This is John Woodhouse. He, he says this, a great summary of a couple lines here. He says this, quote, We have in these few lines a wonderful description of the Christian life. The fruit that the gospel was bearing in the whole world and which it continues to bear today. He says, This prayer for the Colossian believers would also be Paul's prayer for you, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, so that your living would be transformed by this knowledge, actually doing good and knowing God more and more, strengthened to endure and remain joyfully patient and thanking God. If you want a great kind of heart check of, all right, Lord, am I growing in the knowledge of your will? That's a great, those four descriptions are, okay, am I growing in thanksgiving? Am I growing in, in the, the power I'm receiving for life? Am I, am I living transformed by, by this revelation, this knowledge from God? Because it's all about the walk, right? God reveals his word to us. He reveals his will to us so that we might live a life in relationship with him. In fact, never forget the why of the Christian life. We live in relationship with him, and here is why. We serve God. Here's why. Because he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. It's really easy to read that at the tag end of all these things, but Paul does not want us to gloss over. He doesn't want you and I to gloss over the amazing work that Jesus has done to make us right with him. He has transferred us out of a kingdom of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. Once you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but now you're made alive in Christ Jesus. Never forget, people of God, who you are. It, found, it, it forms every bit of how we walk today. I want to lead you with... Um, just a couple of things. I have this, uh, my, my daughter asked me why I had this picture up here this morning. It's because they're sheep. And sheep aren't stupid. They're just sheep and they need a shepherd. And by the way, um, many times in the Bible, um, God's people are referred to as sheep. Not because they're stupid, but because they need a shepherd. Because a sheep without a shepherd gets himself in a whole mess of trouble. So how do we follow our shepherd, Jesus. How do we seek to discern his will and his leading in our life? And I want to leave you with just a couple of additional thoughts. Um, these were shared in um, Dr. Thrasher's book. And th this was George Mueller's process in pursuing God's will. Um, the first thing he says is to seek at the beginning of any decision to get your heart in such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to any given matter, right? Please don't send me to Africa has a will of its own. An open hand that says, God, I'm willing to receive whatever you send and wherever you send me. In fact, George Mueller says that nine tenths of our problem with discerning God's will comes down to seeking to lay down all of the wills that we have for our own life and being willing to receive what God desires to give us. Nine tenths, he says, um, of our struggle is here. The second aspect is we work through laying down our own will. He says to seek the will of the Spirit of God in connection with the Word of God because the Holy Spirit will not contradict God's Word. You want to know God's will for your life? Open this book regularly. Regularly. You don't know what to do? Start looking. Um, you, you're struggling with something, fear, anxiety, wh whatever it is, um, sin of some sort, go to the word of God and find out who you are in Christ. <laughs> be reminded of who you are. Be reminded of how God wants you to walk in his power and, and be reminded of truths of God's word to help you replace the lies that we so commonly believe in trying to um, meet our own needs apart from Christ. Third, take into account providential circumstances. He says, these often plainly indicate God's will in connection with God's word and his spirit. It's not that providential circumstances take place over God's will or, or take place over God's word and God's spirit, but it can be one of the triggers that we understand or, or one of the things that causes us to go, oh God, I think you might be wanting me to do that. Um, when we were getting ready to, um, when, after I graduated undergrad, and we were looking for where God would have us serve. Um, we thought we were gonna end up in Nashville, and then we thought we were gonna end up in Fort Wayne, and one by one by one, boom, boom, boom. Certain doors were closed. And our prayer all along would have been like, God, make this absolutely plain, because we're pretty bad at planning our own life. And um, 
one of the big things though is to note these, okay, God, I think you're leading here because this circumstance has happened. Don't make too much of it, but, but prayerfully evaluate it. Go back to the word of God. Go back to the spirit of God. Take into account these providential circumstances because they can help us plainly sometimes understand where God is leading. The fourth is ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me aright. Prayer, I said, John Calvin said, is an attitude of dependence. Go to God in dependent prayer and say, God, I, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're struggling through God. I don't, I, I, there's so many options or there's no options. God, I don't know where to turn. Just yield yourself to God in prayer. To, 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 to pray is to say, God, I, I, I don't know. I can't do this. I'm wholly dependent, but you're good. You're gracious. You're merciful. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he, he begins that prayer by saying, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, right? We're to see God as our Abba. Intimacy and respect. We can go to him because he cares for us. Our Father in heaven, may your name be sanctified or hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is this action taught by Jesus where, where we're saying, God, we want what you want in our life and in our world. The fifth one he says, he says here is, is thus through prayer to God, the study of the word and reflection, he says, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my ability and knowledge. And if my mind is thus at peace and continues, so after three or more petitions, he says, I, I proceed accordingly. And I like what he says at the end here. He says, this is effective in trivial and more important issues. This isn't just when you're considering where you might move or what job you might take. This is the small and the large things of life. The sixth little principle he gave is walk forward in faith. Walk forward in faith. Sometimes we get to all to that end and we're like, all right, God, we know what you want us to do. But taking that step is where we get stuck because that, that, that's an act of faith, trusting in God's word and God's revealed will for our life. If you've done all those things and you've walked through that process and you're discerning that God has you do this in this situation or this in this situation and it's consistent with his word and it's consistent with the spirit and, and God's given you that peace, walk forward in faith. Walk forward in faith. God is with you. But remember, in the discernment of wanting to know God's will, as Dr. Bill Thrasher said to us in class, the pursuit of God's will is first and foremost a pursuit of God himself. Don't mix the two up. It's first and foremost a pursuit of God himself. To seek God's will and not God will result in confusion. Let's pray together. Our Father and our King, some of us, uh, we, we've come into this morning and we have some weighty things on our life. We're, we're trying to discern what we should do here or what we should do there. And I pray Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers over the believers here in West Michigan and around the world listening to us this morning, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of your will, that you would reveal yourself to them, God, in your truth, and that they might have an understanding and a wisdom that comes through your spirit and your word, that they may walk in a way that is fitting in a, in a way that is suitable for who they are in Christ. And, and God, while this is written actually to an entire community, we want to apply this both to our personal lives and to our community life. God, give us a heart for you. Give us a passion and a desire to know you. May we never desire to know your will 
more than desiring to know you, the giver of every good and perfect thing. We come to you in dependence this morning, God, trusting you to speak. And now, Lord, as we turn our hearts towards communion, remind us what makes all this possible. We have been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness, and we've become in Christ Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord, and our life. In whose name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.